Welcome to the Kids Like You and Me podcast. We're here with Tracy Wilson of Turntable Report. She's also played in the bands Dahlia Seed and Positive No. How you doing, Tracy? Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. How you been? I'm hanging in there. Uh, just trying to acclimate back into whatever our new but old lives are. <laughs> yeah. Are you in Richmond? I am. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, have any shows started popping up there? Or is there anything going on? There are. I think um, there are definitely like kind of smaller DIY things that have probably been happening all along that I'm just not cool enough or young enough to be aware of. But for like bigger shows, most of those are starting to really go full steam by like September, October is where right. I really see like most of them rolling out. I think everyone's planning, like it's just going to be chaos after Labor Day. It seems like offices are trying to reopen after Labor Day. A lot of music venues, movie theaters, like everybody's just trying to do it for after Labor Day, which is cool. That gives us a summer to figure out how comfortable we feel about everything. And I think as we all know, Anything can happen in a couple of weeks. So uh, I'm trying not to get my hopes up because who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, kinda, I'm okay with like a gradual kind of reopening as well. And it's like, I've noticed we're uh, also, I, I, I don't think I mentioned this to you before. We're from Boston, Boston area. I listened to some of the other podcasts and oh, I okay. gathered that was the case. Oh, okay, cool. Thanks. Cool, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're starting to see some stuff pop up, but it seems like, like you were saying, like uh, September seems to be more. Yeah. The time. And I think, yeah. you know, um, touring bands need some time to figure their stuff out. And I think figure out, you know, booking tours because it, I can't even imagine to try to be an active band right now, how much competition you have because everybody right. is bottlenecking to get to the, the fall before like, Nobody really wants to play shows around Thanksgiving and Christmas. So it's like the sweet spot of September through right before Thanksgiving. I'm sure it's got to be like every band desperately trying to get on bills right now. I'm so glad I'm not a part of that battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like a, a very outdoor city. So um, we have mm. some pretty incredible places to see live events outside. So there are quite a few of those happening with like um, like pod seating setups kind of thing. Um, but uh, not to sound too snobby, but most of the things or most of the music that happens at those kinds of events are things I'm really excited about. So um, I, I haven't seen anything that I'm like, you know what? I want to get mosquito bites and pay $10 for a beer for that night out. Like, I'd much rather just stay at home and have a couple drinks and play records for myself than um, try to force myself to be around live music just because it's live. Yay. It's outside and I get to do live music again. Like, I think, I don't know, maybe I'd be curious to see how you guys feel like being away from music for a year has made me feel like it's okay to be a little bit pickier about what I go to. I don't feel as hungry to have to see everything and do everything I'm finally okay with saying like maybe I don't need to go to this thing 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I've had a similar sort of impression of for myself of that. I feel like, I mean, who knows? Like I, I maybe I'll feel differently when it things like really like return, but I kind of agree where I do feel like I think I'm going to be a little bit more selective because during this time I've actually like listened to more music than ever just because I have more time to. And yeah, and I'm not as exhausted, like going out to tons of shows and then I'm, like yeah maybe it's like okay if that band that plays like you know uh every other weekend or something I might be like all right maybe I can skip that one or something or whatever um I I have to say being out until 2 a.m like is fun but when you also have a day job (laughs) that like exhaustion that comes with trying to be a normal productive person the following day like I don't know I, I've learned some some healthy lessons over the last year for sure. <laughs> Have you also noticed that musically you've discovered genres that maybe you didn't care about as much before, or uh, maybe discovered artists and records that you didn't really get once upon a time, but really somehow clicked over this last year? Yeah, there seems uh, to be some. Yeah. <laughs> Do you notice this in your experience? I know that you have, you're, at least from what I can tell, you have a kind of wide swath of punk tastes, but do you notice that there's been a resurgence or maybe it, I'm seeing it more often of um, that sort of like slits, post-punk kind of thing. I hate to say that word post-punk, but like the the no wavy post-punk popping up in current bands do you see that that's like a identifiable um like i don't know if you call it a trend but something that it seems like it's there or has it all i don't maybe it's always been there and i'm just noticing it more now i mean post-punk definitely goes in these weird cycles just like shoegaze does and apparently ska in 2021 who's saw that coming um (laughs) but I guess post-punk is also one of those genres that gets misused so there are things that get labeled by PR people because post-punk is a buzzword right now and it's like I I don't know what I, I get it that bands and PR people are hoping that if you see the word post punk you'll be more likely to click on it to listen to it but what I'm discovering is most of these people have no idea clearly what post-punk sounds like because really it, it ends up being like gothic or chill wave or mm. you know like five thousand other things that really should have been called something first like i heard something the other day that was just a flat out crappy grunge band but they <laughs> used the word post-punk and i was like you know this reminds me of like when grunge got really really popular and like kmart to like barney's to Nordstrom's were all trying to cash in on grunge and everybody abused it in a way that it just no longer even meant what it originally was sort of intended to represent at that time. And I feel like post-punk is becoming so watered down and misused that like, I'm not even sure what it means anymore, but Mm -hmm. yes, there are definitely, even the people who are using it correctly, there seems to be sort of a spike in um, post-punk no wave art punk um also like devo-esque kind of um yeah 
like punk rock that's like vaguely melodic but also kind of spazzy angular i've seen or heard a lot more of that over the last year or so yep yeah i agree there feel i feel like there's i don't know how to like put it but there's like a number of like bands that have this sort of like sound that i i can't like put my like finger on it but it's sort of i guess like devo could be a comparison kind of um a lot of sort of like garage punk kind of bands that mm-hmm. that have this sort of very like cynical it's like not like the well it's like i mean you know like the you know like goner records and, uh-huh. yeah and there's like a you know like there's I loved your interview with Eric. It was great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh-huh. thank you much. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was great. Yeah, and yeah, so like a lot of bands that would play like that festival, like kind of like Giorgio Murder or... Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things that sound influenced by Jay Retard. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's like, if it, but I feel like there's like, I don't know how to put it, but like a loose sort of like sound that they, you know, it's like every, people are doing different bands are doing their own thing but i feel like there's a lot of bands kind of playing off each other and i think in a good way that it's like like it's like because it made me feel a little bit more like optimistic about you know a a genre that might be sometimes stale for sure i think um the cleveland area yeah seems to have a, a kind of bubbling thing happening that's pretty exciting yeah um so you know the have you heard the band GT from Australia? Is it just the letters or is it how is it spelled? Like it's like G. I think it's G E E T E E. Is that correct, Glenn? Oh no, I don't know if I know that. Yeah, there. All right, I'm writing it down. Yeah, yeah write it down. I've. <laughs> I don't know, but I was seeing a video <laughs> footage of them playing in Australia. I think it was a week or two ago, and people were very much happy to be back in the fold of live music. <laughs> it was people were right up against the band screaming all the words. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, I mean, I don't even know how long they were around before the pandemic, but I think right. since then, they're one of those bands that a lot of people know, so to speak. But Right. Yeah. I am going to Gonerfest this September. Oh, nice. And, uh, that's going to be my first foray back into, I'm not really even a festival person, but Goner is really like one of my favorite music events slash festivals slash hangouts with people I really, really like. It's like all of my favorite people in the planet seem to go to this. Um, I know this year will be a little bit unusual because um, in past years, they've had a strong presence of New Zealand and uh, Australian artists and obviously the pandemic has made that a lot harder for bands to get here for that so I think this will be sort of an unusual almost like an American family reunion of sorts or or like a um like a high school reunion where um it will be mostly Americans all potentially seeing each other for the first time in a long time Mm. and I think that's going to be Kind of overwhelming and great. Yeah. yeah. I want to, I don't know if I'll be squished against the stage singing along to all of the words, but uh, I look forward to um, hugging a lot of people and 
cheersing some beers and and enjoying what I know is going to be an awesome lineup. But I got some secret information on some some bands that haven't been announced yet, and it's wow. going to be awesome. Oh, and I guess you said you guys are going to pay you for, to know that information. Yeah. 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 We yeah we just got our tickets. So excellent. Then we'll be able to high five in person. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we love, uh, Goner Fest, so it's, uh, yeah, I can't wait. Um, and I've never seen the Spits before, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Really, and I've been meaning to. Yeah, I've been meaning to for a long time, and it's been a long time, I think, since they played in Boston, so it's like, there was one show a few years ago in Rhode Island, but I, I was sick, so I didn't end up going, and, but anyway, yeah, oh, I'm looking forward to that, uh, does it say before we get into turntable report? Because <laughs> I do have a lot of questions, but that uh, I did want to go a little back. Um, sure. And uh, I I learned from uh, another podcast you were on recently, but uh, you growing up in New Jersey mm-hmm. and going out to like underground shows. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how you got into like you know, uh, uh, I guess underground music? Gosh, there's so many factors. So I came from a family with five other siblings. Right. So even though we weren't really raised in the house together, um, they all had pretty different kinds of tastes. But the brother that was in the house with me at the same time, um, he was into metal and bands like the Ramones, um, some punk rock. But more like Judas Priest, Motorhead, uh, like definitely heavier, faster stuff. And then my very oldest sibling made me a mix that was all sort of like new wave and post-punk. So it had like B-52s and R.E.M. And it was my introduction to like jangle pop and stuff. Um, So I think once that door is open, when you realize, and I think Eric from Goner talked about this too, like there's a switch where I just, I only thought top 40 music existed and that's what I grew up loving. But then once that door is open, where you realize there's this whole world of other kinds of music, it was just like, I want to know it all. And I'm going to find the thing that none of my other siblings have claimed yet. Like I'm going to do the homework and find the thing that's like mine. So like, I didn't want to follow metal and the faster punk because that was my brother's, uh, who was living at the house at the same time. So there was a radio station called WDRE that was also called WLIR. They like changed ownership, but it was still like underground music. So you could hear the replacements with Gang of Four, with Depeche Mode, U2. So you would hear like more popular mainstream alternative music like the Pixies, but then you could also hear something a little bit more underground. And I think they played the John Peel show on the weekends. So it was a pretty great music education. And then I would just start trying to track things down. And then um, a local record store, two clerks turned me on to a bunch of stuff. Um, And it just kept snowballing. Like, I think for music fanatics, there's something that's like in our bloodstream that you can't be satisfied with just five bands like it's just an endless search and I think 
I don't know, maybe that's what makes music so exciting. It's like the ocean. There, there isn't a bottom you can touch. You can keep every day going a little deeper and a little deeper and you're just never gonna, it's, it doesn't end. It's so expansive that um, there's always something new and exciting to discover. And yeah. I don't, you know, and what my definition of weird and punk was, like I think in high school, I remember finally on a bus ride hearing what the misfits sounded like. And, you know, I'd seen all their imagery being a little bit disappointed like I was just the like build up to thinking the misfits are going to be this like terrifying band and it was like oh well if that's not that weird like what else is out there that I had been kind of scared to check out and then like you know in fairness like Metallica and Slayer there was like early metal bands that I was like okay this is like truly out of a zone that I'm familiar with and it was exciting and dangerous sounding, but then to discover like the idea of what weird or experimental music was like, we need to know what uh, outsiders music sounds like. Like, it's yeah, it's weird that actually just was in my head. I mean, I've also been on an outsider music kick this last few days, but sorry, go on. No, no, that's it's just like you know, it's like um a weird stepping stone and sometimes you'll hear a record and you haven't like hit the four stones to get you to that place quite yet and then you come back to that record after a couple of years and you've connected all the other stones to that point so by the time you hear it it makes sense and I, I think it was just it was so exciting to discover that underground music could mean a kajillion things like the things that made it to the mainstream just didn't really interest me. And I think there are people who like really love and are obsessed with pop culture and all those shiny penny kind of things. And that's fine. That's cool. That's your thing. But for me, I just, I always really appreciated the underdog, um, the bands that didn't have a lot of money, that scrappier thing where they didn't have a million dollars to record. My first like serious, full-time job was at a record store called Flipside in Pompton Lakes, New Jersey. And that's, I think, where my real education came for underground music. So all of these things and people sort of like dabbled me in directions and I could see like, okay, I, I know what the Grateful Dead fans are into and it just really bored me and I wasn't into pot smoking. So it was just like, I don't really get that scene. And then yeah. the Heshers of my high school, like, I don't know, metal was cool, but again, like a kind of like stoner, they didn't do fun things. They just kind of hung out and drank beers in the woods and listened to their tapes, which is cool in its own right, but not really my thing either. And so I think when I started to meet customers at the record store involved in punk rock and DIY music, there was an energy there where they were actually all doers they, were, they weren't just excited to listen to music. These are people who are gonna start a record label or maybe they book shows or they did a fanzine or they took photos. There was just an energy in that world that I just didn't really feel and get from any of these other scenes. And mm -hmm. that's like by senior year, junior year in high school, that's when it like just full speed, like 
I'm not going to go to college. Fuck it. This is what I want to do. Like independent music is my thing. And it was literally like, I don't know how it's crazy that something can be so big that it's going to erase your concept of everything you've been taught to that point where you're supposed to go to college and you're supposed to have like a great job and money and security to work towards buying a house. Like all of that got thrown away. I didn't care about any of it. I just, I just wanted to get lost in this active creative community who was almost like a big family. And I don't know that that was more powerful than any education or office job could be when I was 18 or 19. Wow. Sorry. I know that was a long answer. No, no, that was great. Oh, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and this is now you were, uh, this is all still in New Jersey. Yep. Okay. And uh, so now were you going out to shows and stuff like that in, in high school? Oh, yeah. Um, I think you'll find a lot of people from New Jersey and Connecticut, for whatever reason, had parents that didn't have a problem with them taking trains into the city by themselves. Like we are all raised to be semi-fluent in getting around New York City. So yeah. by the time I even had a driver's license, I would just drive to Hoboken, park the car, and then take the path into New York because I knew that driving into the city was like a little too stressful and also expensive. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want my car to get stolen. So I felt like safer parking in Hoboken. And then I could also shop at Pure Platters. So it was like, I could park or buy some records, park, leave the records in the car, then go to the city. And then sometimes CB's bills or the pyramid. I mean, some of those would start at like 10 and there'd be like 10 bands on the bill or something yeah. stupid. And then the band you wanted to see wouldn't even play until two in the morning. So often I would be taking the path train back home from New York as commuters are going into the city to go to work. And so sometimes I would just sleep in my car in the parking lot of high school and then hope I kind of woke up in time to go to my first class. <laughs> Cause there's, yeah. I mean, a lot of the shows at least like Maxwell's and Hoboken, those shows were usually done by one. So I could be home by 1.30, but um, because path trains run really irregularly out of New York back to New Jersey I wouldn't even get to my car until 4 35 so by the time I got back to like the general area I lived in New Jersey it would already be six and I have to be in class in a couple hours so a lot of times I just wouldn't even bother going home and for whatever reason my parents never really worried like I wasn't a troublemaker kid and they let me and were really supportive to just pursue my passion for music and maybe it was partially because they didn't have money to pay for me to go to college so they're like well if you're not gonna do this college thing and music is your thing we'll let you do that because then we don't have to pay for that so <laughs> I uh I pretty much spent my entire senior year going to shows at least probably if not once every two weeks sometimes one or two times a week and most of them were either in Hoboken at Maxwell's 
or CBs or the pyramid. And there were like bigger shows with Bowery, um, the Bowery Ballroom or I don't know, my old lady brain doesn't remember all the venue names anymore, but there were oh, the Ritz, there were like bigger show, show spaces. But by that point, I didn't really want to even see a band in huge spaces. Yeah. So, um, it was sort of confusing when you go from only wanting to see bands in a room with like 50 other people in a basement or in a small venue. And then suddenly like the year that punk broke, every band you love is a superstar. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm never going to see Nirvana again with just 30 people in the room or yeah. um, Sonic Youth in a room with, you know, 300 people. Like suddenly there are thousands of people who knew all the words to Pavement or Super Chunk, like My Bloody Valentine, all these things that start as these little tiny secrets and then snowball into this way bigger story. But um, it's funny when you're like 18 or 19, you don't even imagine that that could happen to your favorite band until it does. And you're like, oh, no, this could happen more. And then sure enough, like when every major label was trying to sign an indie band, like literally the dumbest indie bands who should have never been signed were getting picked up and and bands who were really good but like should Jawbox have been on a major label mm, I don't know I, I'm not sure that was a great idea did Jawbreaker need to be on a major label mm, no and there's like you know a kajillions of those stories like Caven should they have gone that route mm, I don't know what was your favorite band of that time like senior year of high school? Um, well, it's pretty embarrassing. I'm not going to pretend that it was like a, a super cool underground band because when we did our senior photos and the things you write up, it was like earlier in the year. So it's like I discovered all this amazing music, but I had already written my like little thing underneath the photo so it's like Jane's addiction quotes and red hot chili peppers who in fairness were weird and interesting and cool like before they got super popular but like yeah the Smiths nothing like I can say proudly that like oh yeah I was into this super obscure cool you know it wasn't like Archers of Loaf or whatever that would have been completely my life and just like seven or eight more months yeah that's a that's a funny funny you mentioned that because i remember i had a quote from radiohead in my yearbook for in just in the matter of those um by the end of senior year i was well into better music See? Um, but yeah, yeah. That and I, you know i think anybody who's listening like there's there is no shame in starting somewhere not as cool because it leads you down a path of you're passionate about music, you'll find those things. So like, we all have to start somewhere. And that somewhere is almost never super cool. Maybe you're one of those random people that started with, you know, something outrageously like, oh, I started with Tropicalia Records. Like, bless you for finding that or the fall or whatever. But like, for most of us, it doesn't start that way. And your story's gonna start with a band. You're probably gonna be embarrassed to admit that you really liked but that's where I started <laughs> yep. yeah no totally I I 
Yeah, I mean, I was listening to like the Oblivions in preschool, and you know, <laughs> exactly like. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. No, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I don't. I never really cared too much about that either, as far as like the kind of like I don't know. I never really has much of like the shame or guilt or whatever kind of thing. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. It's what I, it's what I listen to. And, um, but well, that's, that's good. Yeah. There's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. Like, yeah, it's fine. We all, we all start somewhere and, uh, become full rounded, interesting, Hopefully you've explored some paths by the time you're 18 or 19 and, uh, and that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, actually, when you mentioned about the different venues and shows, were there any like sort of underground kind of in the sense of like, like a house show or warehouses or anything like that that were happening? Yes. So I went to high school with, two members of the band Rorschach and uh, Rorschach and Born Against were sort of like very intertwined in the same scene. And once they knew that I was working at this record store and buying records for the store, all of these bands started coming into the store and um, selling to me directly. And they would tell me about what shows were going on. And so, I got looped into ABC No Rio, uh, which was like a, a squatter art space in New York that like every important hardcore and punk band played in um, through. Okay. And I mean, it's still going. Um, and then John, who played in Born Against for a bit and went on to be in Grey House and a bunch of other stuff down the line. John Hiltz's house shows were probably the most important house show space to me. It was um, certainly among the most active house show scenes happening in my general region. Um, mm -hmm. They had all of the bands that I was most excited about in the sort of like post-hardcore emo scene. Um, as Dahlia Seed was happening, we played there a lot. And mm -hmm. I, I recently did an interview with John and he surprised me by saying Dahlia Seed had played there more than any other band, which I was not expecting to hear, um, but some pretty life-changing mm -hmm. shows happened from like the, like 93 to 98 there. Wow. Okay, cool. And that was in Westfield, New Jersey. Okay, nice. Yeah, because I'm always curious, like, when... Are you just know, hearing that funny buzzing sound? Yeah, I think that's coming from my... Uh, let me see if I can stop that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always curious when, like, yeah, like, the sort of different, like, house shows kind of stuff popped up because sometimes I ask people and they're like especially like maybe in like maybe it was more a little prior to that in the 80s and they're like uh you know and just rent you know individuals so everyone could have a different experience or a different maybe a different city but people are like no there was no like house shows or whatever so I'm always kind of like curious when that started to become like a thing I 
feel so lucky that we not only had New York City shows and also New Jersey, so like City Gardens. There's a place in Connecticut that did huge hardcore shows, but then that we also had this crazy network of kids doing DIY shows at houses or in like halls and churches. So Charles from Gern Blanston was booking shows in these kinds of spaces. Um, The guys in Weston in Pennsylvania were booking very similar shows and bills in their area. So even though none of these genres were like all the same, we all crossed and shared bills because we were all trying to do this sort of like supportive Mm. DIY community. So it wasn't like it had to be all straight edge bands and certainly those bills existed, but you had these pretty weird diverse bills that um, would happen in somebody's basement. And it might just be like somebody who happened to have like a twee cuddlecore band, but then it would also be like a metal band. And then um, it might be a pop punk band. And somehow like somebody knew each other from school or, you know, uh, maybe they had jobs together or they were on like a compilation. Like everybody seemed to somehow know each other. And it was never like, oh, our bands don't really make sense on a bill. It was like, I want to do this cool thing with you, whether or not our bands make sense or not. So um, I think what was really special about these um, super underground shows were that kind of camaraderie and support system that you didn't really see as much with the bands who are trying to like on their way to making it by playing Maxwell's or CB's or those bigger spaces. Right. Um, yeah, that makes sense too, especially because I've noticed at least around in like Boston, it's not exclusively with the house shows, but definitely like a lot of the like the real like kind of scene around here, I feel like is definitely more like seems to be more focused a lot more around like the the houses or at least that builds up. That's where it seems like a lot of bands really like actually get to like you know meet other bands and and you know, kind of build a scene. Right. And it's also a big way that bands are still figuring out who they are, what, how yeah. they sound, you know, like I've seen some pretty terrible house shows, yeah. but again, like it's that you have to start somewhere and that somewhere is never going to be perfect or great. And I mean, occasionally you'll see that like bands for a show, you're like, really, you're that talented and you managed to make this like beautiful music already, that's remarkable. But for the most part, that's not the case. And then you see like, I mean, I think about like Brodsky. So I think about those early Caven shows, which are unbelievably phenomenal in its own right. But then who could have guessed that Steven would have the voice that he does 10 years later. And that progression of playing all the time and getting better and building a voice and finding his own voice. And then discovering that dude can literally sing a Bjork cover as well as, uh, you know, a, a Radiohead song or a Nirvana song, but also like the heaviest of heavy songs and somehow make it work. And it sounds honest and believable from him. Like 
I love that somebody who started in this sort of like basement community found through that practice and the support system of a scene to make that artist all these years later. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think what you're also saying too is as well that, you know, it's, it really is, there's not as much of the economic pressure for, you know, for everyone when you really think about it. So right. that allows that space for those bands to explore. Right, right, exactly. You know, because it's like, so if you're like booking, it's like, you don't have to pay like a rental fee to book the place. It's, it's going to be cheaper for someone going to see the show. And it's like, you know, so yeah, I think from all those angles, it makes it just that much better for bands to carve out their, like their sound. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what is a safer place to fail than in a circle yeah. of your peers where like they're gonna like you no matter what happens at the end of the set. And I mean, I certainly think about like early deli seed shows were fucking terrible. And so there was nothing more terrible than me in the first year of deli seed. I didn't know how to play my guitar very well. I certainly didn't know how to tune it. I didn't know what to do if a string broke. And yet in the community of friends who came to see us, no matter how good or bad we were, they just kept telling us to keep going. And eventually we figured it out. And I'll still never say, like, I just don't have that kind of confidence as a band member to be like, oh, we were the best band. I, I just don't like to talk about the music I make that way. But at least it, I know it got better. And if it weren't for the sort of like supportive DIY community we came from, that journey over those five or six years would have never happened for us to all become the lifelong musicians we've all become. I was wondering what's the climate like there in Richmond now as far as well I guess before the pandemic were you going to a lot of local shows was there a strong DIY community there like touring bands yeah, rolling through and stuff? Yeah huge community here. Um, oh. We have many venues but what comes back is hard to say. Um, we do certainly have a lot of house show spots, um, but uh, the larger venue, I don't think they've had, I think their first show is in the fall. I don't recall seeing something sooner. Um, there's like a medium-sized venue, and they've been doing shows. Um, and they've also been like, um, broadcasting things live so you, you could you know watch them from your home too um there's like smaller spaces like gallery five and during the pandemic they actually removed the stage and they it's in an old firehouse and the the doors open up and they now just have tables and stuff there so I don't I honestly don't know if they're going to go back to having shows um there's a space called fuzzy cactus uh the camel these are all like you know, a couple hundred capacity type spaces. Um, mm. And I haven't really seen, oh, actually that's not true. The Camel, I guess, has been pretty active about having shows and like smaller pod kind of things indoors. Um, I'm certainly just not ready for that yet, but clearly there are a lot of people who are. Um, but pre-pandemic, 
there was something going on, you know, a, a couple of days of the week. We took a pretty huge hit because there was a venue called Strange Matter. Oh yeah. Um, you know, most of the the punk, hardcore, indie rock type shows were happening, metal, and um, they they closed and nobody really stepped in to fill that hole. There were um, the person who booked there was bringing shows to other spaces, but I think. Mark now sells t-shirts or something like vintage tees like it's kind of heartbreaking because he was sort of like the heart and soul of this burgeoning underground community um we're also very metal centric and hardcore um we like positive no didn't really terribly fit in here because we were sort of um more angular pop music there wasn't really anything happening i mean i feel like had we maybe still been a band that that genre style is a little bit more popular now we maybe would would have done better but for the eight years we were a band here um i don't want to say we were before our time but we just didn't really fit into what was happening but also i'm not 22 and i think the reality is that kids don't really want to see old people play music unless you were already famous like Uh, DJ Harvey or something so um, I think the reality of just knowing even though this is like a community I've dedicated my life to there's just a point where it's not your turn to be on stage anymore Hmm. that's interesting well yeah it's interesting definitely (laughs) Um, you probably don't talk to all that many older people no less older women who've been in like the DIY scene but um ageism is a real thing yeah no we've we've heard that from a number of guests uh both female and male um that we've had on and just people we see because um just I don't know if it's just the music that we're into or this or similar people like our friends uh, are also into the similar music because there's there are people who are um, a little bit older they, or age kind of runs the gamut or whatever that are you know at least in Boston the shows we go to either going to the shows or playing the shows and right um, yeah so I mean I but but yeah we've heard that before at shows where sometimes people it's like you know where there there are some kids that are like who who brought this bird you know yeah exactly yeah I'm very aware especially like yeah post-pandemic a year just feels like enough time where there'll probably be some new people going to shows and you know I've spent 20 years going to shows here and there's like a new scene especially living in a college town but yeah I feel very lucky Richmond has one of the most remarkable music scenes and um i think a lot of that also has to do with the radio station we have a community radio station called wrir um and i think when you have um djs who are putting local artists on the same the same platform as bigger artists it it gives you that sensation that a small artist can be as important as the big artists like just because they're not selling a million records, when you hear them on the radio, all of those sort of preconceived notions of what's good or famous, like it's an even playing field. And I love that RER offers that to our community. I think that's really important. And we're very, very blessed to have that here. 
Awesome. Oh, and yeah. like 12 record stores, 14. Oh, wow. That probably oh. helps too. We have a shit okay. ton of record stores here. So, um, you know, every music scene takes not just the people, but it takes radio and it takes a place to buy those records. And if you're an artist, a place to put those records into. And it's great to have a radio station who wants to share them with the community without charging you anything. They just do it because they love it. Like all that helps build a music community. And um, obviously along with music venues, it's wonderful that we have those things here. Um, we have a handful of great record labels too. Obviously Feel It is just killing yeah. it over the last yeah. couple of years. Like, yeah, totally. Sam has been putting out so many great records and just more to come. And I know we're all actually waiting for a new Sweeping Promises record. So hopefully I know they're pressing plant delays. So who knows if that will actually happen this year, but I know I am very excited. I want that record like yesterday. Yep. Hell yeah. Are there any um, printed print scene zines or papers that write up shows or do any kind of um how do you find There's out like, about shows that are happening is it like on the radio is there a concert report that they announce so there is a show called activate on wrir and that whole show is based on playing whatever the next couple weeks of shows coming are so he'll look at what all the venues have coming and then play an entire set for two hours of those bands coming to town so i think that's a kind of unusual and special unique way to promote and support what's happening and coming up in the the community um i hate to say that like facebook show announcements was kind of a a primary way of finding Mm. things out um certainly like it's just, it's funny to go back to sort of the roots of text groups and, um, you know, word of mouth, people dropping me a line to say like, oh, you have to know that this is happening. You have to go. It's awesome. Um, but also I think I'm in a weird and unusual position because I have so many music friends who run record labels and who are in touring bands. And so, um, they'll reach out to me to say that this artist is coming to Richmond. And sometimes it's just in an effort in hopes that I'll go support the show. Um, And because they're part of my community of friends, I certainly want to support that. Even if I don't know the band, sometimes they're telling me that because they secretly hope I'll put the band up for the night. Obviously, like we all know touring bands can always use a place to stay. So um, I, I, I don't know, I probably house hundreds and hundreds of bands over the last three decades. Um, so I don't know how younger, like college age kids find out about shows because now that Facebook is pretty much dead and stupid, like we all know just how terrible and stupid it is. Like there's probably like way cooler ways of finding out about shows right now. And because there hasn't been any happening in the last year, I haven't, a clue of what they might be, but I'm kind of excited to find out. Hopefully, uh, maybe in the next month or so, I will I will be privy to be able to answer that question better. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I hope so. 
for for us as well too where it's like uh you know we'll be back into the groove of of going back into shows and stuff i i um i know what they did i know it's like it's weird it is weird to say like it's like i was like yeah i guess that is one way because i remember a lot of times just seeing like you know like it would be like an event pop up yeah exactly and and it's like oh uh you know like knots it's coming it's coming or whatever and i you know just a picture of knots or whatever um they also had i don't and i don't know if they anyone does this in in richmond but i know in in boston there was like a boston it's like boston diy all ages gigs or whatever and um that was a nice little it was like a facebook group or whatever yeah yeah um Um, i used to do a version of that like pre like i guess it was it's not really pre-internet because it was an email group and i would just collect email addresses and then I would collect a list of all the shows that I heard that were happening that were interesting. And then it would like email blast to all of those people. And I did that for a couple of years. So it was like, it's, mm. just, it's so funny, like how kids always find a way to spread the word. And I, I mean, I'm sure there's probably things like that happening now, but I just don't know them yet. Yeah. Yeah. Do I mean, you put it, on shows yourself. Gosh, I did pretty early on in my like late teens early 20s we did things at the record store but mostly because I've almost always been in bands my version of putting on shows is building bills as a band and trying to figure out like um and also because I'm a record nerd when I fall in love with a record and I see that this band is touring through and they might have a spot open a lot of times we would just blindly reach out to them and say, hey, we love your record. Um, we see you don't have a show on this date. Do you want to play a show together? And that's how like our friendship with the good bed started. And um, we've become friends with like Pylon, like just, I don't know, being a music fan first and a musician second really has ended up helping our band create shows so even though I don't really consider myself a booking person, I guess sort of accidentally you just fall into that role as a band member trying to make cool shows for both your community and for yourself. I mean, who doesn't want to play a show with their favorite band, you know? Yeah, totally. It's such a, a rare opportunity. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out and you meet the band and you're like, oh, you are terrible people. I hadn't met you and seen how you behave before a show opens or whatever, but like, I don't know. But then on the flip side is sometimes you'll all, you know, be bringing gear and sound checking and you're like best friends before anybody's even played a note. And those nights are like, why you do it? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I wanted to talk about the turntable report. Um. So how long have you been doing it now? Uh, it literally started like immediately after Positive No played our last show. So yeah. um, that was January 31st of last year. And um, because I've been in music for 30 some years, I've sort of always naturally kept a list for myself. 
And mm. over the last, I don't know, seven or eight years, I was building Spotify playlists and mainly not because I support what Spotify does, but because Bandcamp, Bandcamp didn't have a way for me to make playlists to remind myself about the records I liked. Um, and I have a brain injury. So my memory for like precise details, things like band names and song titles are terrible. So playlists are a really helpful, important way for me to keep track of things. So I was sort of doing all the stuff behind the scenes, like making the playlists and keeping lists and emails for myself. And I realized like I'm doing all of this work and I'm not sharing it. That's ridiculous. So when the band stopped, I knew I'd have time to start sharing this. And so I wasn't sure about the most like meaningful way for me to share what I did and I just started this newsletter really from mostly my friends who were always asking me what I was listening to and um like I genuinely am a new music addict as much as I love finding weird old records of all genres whether it's um like avant-garde music or jazz or lounge music or I don't know like Latin Salsa, like, I, I love it all. I really do. But I'm also, I can't deny that I just love knowing what's happening in new music. So um, it seemed like focusing the newsletter on mostly just new music, making it so it was just like five to 10 of my very favorite things. So I wasn't overwhelming people. And my playlists are really long, so they could be overwhelmed if they wanted to know more. But um, this seemed like the easiest way for busy people, like most of my grown-up friends don't have the time to read a whole zine. So this would be like a quick fix. And because I wasn't working at a record store anymore, um, this way, like they're not coming to the record store and asking me, I can't like hand them a record and say, I know you love this kind of music. You should buy this record. This was like the next version of that for me. And I did not expect it to catch on. And it has just kind of grown exponentially over the last year. And then um, as some of the records I was writing about were not easy to find, people were asking me where I was buying them or where to get them. So then I started to buy small copies of these for the handful of people that I know who probably would want to buy them. And I've sort of accidentally, it snowballed into opening Courtesy Desk, which is like a micro a record store online for the things that I write about um, and I really I don't have the budget for it like I don't know what I'm thinking it's ridiculous that I've even taken on this I have like a full-time super busy intense day job and now I'm spending four hours a day looking for new music just for myself but also knowing that I'm going to share it and now also trying to track these records down yeah. find them in like whatever currency and I got to say the American dollar, not super strong. So it's crazy how much money just like even 10 or 15 records cost when they're coming in from Australia, once you get like shipping and stuff. So um, I don't know, it's, it's sort of accidentally grown into this little bubble community. But um, through that, I've met so many awesome, really nice labels and band people um it's nice when I reach out to people and nobody's worried that it's going to be me asking them 
to support my band. Like, mm-hmm. I know I'm self-conscious as a band person. I hate having, like, asking people to listen to my record or book a show for me or do something nice for my band. So it's nice when I reach out to people, nobody's dreading, like, uh, what does she want? Like, it's genuinely this right this thing where it's, like, me, the fan, just trying to support other people and not do anything of my own. So um, I don't know. I, I feel like I don't feel, like, really gifted at one thing. Um, I'm an okay songwriter. I'm a terrible but still functioning guitar player, bass player, like I can write a little bit, but really like the thing I'm best at is being a fan and showing support and finding ways to connect dots to bring that thing I love that I think other people will like to the people that I think are the right people for that record. And uh, I don't know, it worked, which seems weird, especially now like it seems like a story that should be happening to like a 19 year old, not somebody approaching 50, but here I am. <laughs> thank you for your service. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, yeah, thank it's you, really, I feel like curation really is important because uh, there is so much music out there. I mean, there's no way, there's just like we were kind of saying earlier, it's like sort of this like ocean of, any, you know anything that's out there so it, yeah, it really it's yeah it, it, it's like that's why I, I can never totally get like the people that are like oh there's no good there's nothing good happening today or whatever or like like punk rock died when it's like you're not paying attention to stuff no. or whatever I, or you sniff too much flu or something I don't yeah know. it's <laughs> crazy how much interesting cool things are out there if you try hard enough to find them yeah and in every corner of the world and now that we have the technology to know what's happening in almost real time everywhere I think it's so fascinating like to have the access to hear even more music right and then now that it's been happening for enough years that cross-pollination of of things happening in Africa influencing somebody in Iowa or um, I listened to a record today that's a woman from Canada who plays flawless and gorgeous bossa nova music like we're going to hear crazy interesting cross-pollinations of music and I think um, that's super exciting (laughs) yeah definitely it is for us as music fans because Every time I think like we've heard it all, we so haven't heard it all. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, or even and- better when that artist is playing something that you have in theory heard a thousand times, but somehow they're so fucking good at it that it sounds oh, yeah. like you invented it. And that Sweeping Promises record is a great example. Like yeah. I could name 30 things it sounds like, but the way somehow they did it sounds new. And that yep. finding that it's almost like a, a drug high when you find that thing that yeah. just it, it's almost like a, a chemical reaction and it probably is it probably releases endorphins when you hear something you really like and are excited about and that feels good and we continue to seek that high um but man people who don't think there's good music are just sadly undereducated. yeah i think so i think that's most likely the you know the 
part of it um because it's weird sometimes i do hear people say it that i do like respect and, and i think but then you look back and it's like you know there's a lot of great musicians where they're like and maybe it's just they they just kind of draw a blank or whatever but they're like it's like the interviewer is like what bands are you into right now and they might be like just and they're like they don't really name any there's like oh, i don't really listen to much or or they'll name like just you know I don't know, like I saw like a Joey Ramone interview and he was kind of ta- like when he mentioned like he's like, you know, cool bands or whatever at the time. I think he did mention like some like underground band, but he was, he was kind of like, oh, the Chili Peppers. And you know, <laughs> he was like, yeah, but, he, you know, he's like, oh, it's, it's better like, you know, now than it was 10 years. And this is like the early 90s. But right. he was, you know, like, but like it's like in my mind I'm thinking like 1992 or whatever. I think that's when the interview was. And like, I get it, like that Nirvana would be really exciting at that time, but right. there's also like, you know, and you may have mentioned like, like Jane's Addiction or something else, but it's like, there's so many other bands at that, you know, at that time. And maybe he wasn't as privy to him being like on the road all the time, but I don't know, I guess uh, it's like, for me, you know, as being like a huge Ramones fan, for just an example, it's like, you know, sometimes people can make a lot of great stuff but then they're like they lose touch or something I, right. I don't know I will give yeah. it to Kurt Cobain because at least he championed like every yeah. possible underground thing and by wearing those band shirts spread the word and like say what you will about Eddie Vedder he does the same thing he yeah no. supports underground music and like that's awesome yeah absolutely I but really for do every it. one of those there's like a superstar who just only like has drunk the Kool-Aid and only talks about like the other artists floating in their yeah. realm of one percenters and you're like boo nothing. yeah 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 I mean it's like it's, it's like I don't know that perspective I don't know what happened along the way but it's just like I'm glad I don't know it but another one is like Henry Rollins not as big as those other guys but still like a big name but he he does champion like underground bands. I mean, he's he's genuinely what I believe to be like. I don't know if he'd call himself a music addict, but yeah, no, I think he is. Yeah. Like you know, my like I would absolutely if there was some sort of like music addiction group, I would walk into that meeting and say like, my name is Tracy Wilson and I am a music addict because it's a real thing. Like yeah, I am that crazy about it, and I think Henry Rollins is absolutely one of those people. I love yeah. his hunger. It feels like once every six months, some like tiny, tiny label will be like, "Oh man, you're not gonna believe who sent me an order for this record today," and I'd be like, "Well, there's a really good chance that's probably gonna be either um, dude from the Dead Kennedys or Henry oh, yeah. Rollins." Yeah. And nine times out of ten, it's like <laughs> one of those two. Yeah, I was gonna say I was thinking of yeah, Joe Biafra. Right. As well. Another one of like yeah, the same sort of thing where they yeah, I've seen a number of like interviews were just like yeah, they're it's like you know it makes it's like yeah, it makes sense because they're music fans, so it's like <laughs> my sort of um, like cheat sheet for for who I know I'm going to like like when I meet somebody and they tell me that they don't read book, books or they don't collect records. And especially if there's, they're an artist and they say that they don't like other people's music or read or go to movies or whatever. Like, I don't really know what to do with that. 
consistently through my entire life, the people who have meant the most to me and who, uh, who really like are my, I think we describe them as people from our tribe are the people who like are musicians, but also consider themselves to be super music fans and record collectors and avid book readers and are culturally hungry to learn. And um, I would say like, if, like if you ever meet somebody who you really respect and then you ask them like, I don't know, I'm not really that into music. Like to me, that's like a deal breaker. Like, oh, okay, nice, nice to have met you. Not my people, that's cool. Um, my favorite people who make music tend to be other ridiculously obsessed with music people. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'd have to agree with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, do um, you ever find that, like, if you're reading an interview of bands and they're at that, they're above the underground level, but they're not quite uh-huh. at that indie level or whatever, they're kind of in that mid middle ground where they could be, you know, whatever, indie. Do you ever find right. that sometimes when they'll, they might name drop bigger bands and it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that that could one day be them as opposed to championing those bands that they came from maybe the underground with? Very rarely do I right. see those people kind of go back to the bands that are less lesser known and more obscure they'll sometimes right. name drop the bigger bands I almost think that's because they want to follow in that footstep whereas if you're kind of content being an obscure underground band you you won't have any worries about that kind of that dance or right, that right. ladder climbing yeah. that like um know. like appropriate name dropping and I'm not going to name names, but I can think of a particular band who did exactly that, like basically marketed themselves and kept name dropping the same like five bands. And almost all of those bands ended up being artists that they worked with, either recorded with or went on tour with or co-wrote a song with. So it almost works like a marketing device where they're positioning the people listening to them to associate them with that band so like um you know I'm trying to give a a totally ridiculous version of of this like somebody who wanted to be like the white stripes kind of world like if you keep dropping the black keys and the white stripes and those kinds of bands you're going to sort of naturally group those together and then like I don't know. It's like feeding like little hints. So when somebody makes a playlist and they're, they've started with those other bands, then suddenly your band starts appealing, uh, appearing on those kinds of playlists because you keep pushing yourself as being a part of that little bubble that you're trying to grow into. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I get it. Some bands are hungry to succeed and everything they do is like a PR campaign but that's where it starts to be not that interesting to me. Like if fame is the thing that's driving you and not the art, you're probably not somebody I want to give crap about. Yep. I mean, well no offense to anybody who's like really trying to make it because I like who doesn't want to make art and live off of it. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And there are certainly artists who've managed to do that without 
being crappy human beings who yeah. turn themselves into just comic books of themselves or one giant product. But, um, you know, it's it's hard when you watch an artist that you've really cared about kind of fall into those trappings a little bit. Um, and it's like, it's almost like losing a family member to a cult or something where you're like, oh, well, yeah. they're, they're gone. Uh, I don't, I don't need to be a part of that. Or like uh, so many bands who, once they sign to a bigger label and they start having all these people backstage and in their shows who are all these creeps that like don't belong there. And they're like, they're lawyers and they're lawyers, girlfriends, son. And you're like, what is this nonsense? Like all the specialness of a community is a race and you're looking around and you don't want to meet any of these people. It's just like a, an awkward mixer for hanger honors, not actually like yeah. creative parts of the community who are in it together. Like it's more like vampire people <laughs> than people yeah. who are giving the gift to like grow the scene, if that makes sense. Yeah. Also, yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I was just gonna ask going back with like with like the turntable report, like how do you keep up with like the new music that you're that you're getting into? Are there certain like uh, sources or channels so you, that or you have to be slightly such? manic and OCD. <laughs> And uh, I get up at five in the morning and I follow like 8 billion labels and bands on Bandcamp. Okay. You're just sorting through that kind of thing. But I also follow probably 100 or so record stores. Wow, okay. And I look at their emails and their tweets and their Instagram. And then I have trusted friends and um, people who run labels and I follow both their labels and their personal accounts. And I have um, like private social media groups where we're either sharing records we're listening to in real time or groups that are more about like sharing your personal life. But because they're all record addicts like me, their personal life is all more music stuff. Um, I follow a lot of radio stations and so like radio stations that are great when they share their their like listening playlists I they're like a treasure trove of things where you find your favorite radio DJs and um, we have like a Saturday ritual of uh, a woman from Seattle Jen whose radio show is amazing and I listen to her her show every Saturday morning because there's inevitably something I'll really like so you have to sort through a lot of shit to find the things that you connect with the most um I follow I don't know probably a hundred or so writers from different publications um who I trust and I think say interesting things I'm always interested to see what quietest reviews um I've kind of given up on things like pitchfork they like they all kind of write about the same like 30 artists or 50 artists. And like, I don't know, like the, we don't need to hear about certain records. Like I get, we still need like reviews of big records, but to balance that out with trying to bring new music to people, 
I feel like a lot of these places have given up on that craft. And yeah. that's why you're seeing so many newsletters like my own. Like right now, there's sort of like a revolution. Instead of people publishing zines, they're doing music newsletters that you subscribe to. And I probably subscribe to maybe 20 or 30 of those. So yeah, I spend three or four hours sometimes in the morning um, just sorting through all that. And um, anything I like, I write down or put in a playlist. And then at the end of my day, I'll, I'll sort of like look throughout the day because there's like release times that seems like 10 o'clock, noon, two and six seem to be the times where PR and, and different people think that that's like the right time to promote a new single or something. Um, and then I spend another hour or two at the end of my day reviewing anything I might've missed throughout the day. And I mean, there's no way I can catch it all, but if I'm dedicating two to six hours every day, eventually, hopefully I find something I believe in enough to share with other people. And it's been a weird spell the last like three or four weeks. I've liked a lot of records and there's maybe four or five that I really love. Mm -hmm. But there's some months where it's like, I don't have enough hours in the day to talk about all the things I liked so much. And right. we just hit this weird spell where I, I haven't heard as much. And I don't know, I guess like dry spells happen, but I think there's also because of the pressing plant backups that are happening, a lot right. of labels are sitting on records because they want to have with the vinyl. And, you know, some people are being smart and releasing digital ahead of schedule, but they're afraid that people are going to be bored with it by the time the record comes out. So um, I don't know, it's kind of a, a weird time. I think a lot of labels and artists aren't sure what to do because of these pressing plant backups. And that's why we're seeing cassettes and CDs coming out fast and furious, all these weird lathe cuts where it's like 40 copies of things. And like, you know, by the time I even write about them, they're already sold out in those cases. So it's a kind of a weird, awkward, we're going through some growing pains, but it, I hope, you know, this is just, a temporary thing and um, trying to find the, the good points and keep supporting regardless of how awkward it is to be a fan and a musician right now. Along with what we were just saying with the turntable report of like keeping up with all these different uh, new bands and albums. My next question is how, how do you like retain that? Cause you know, you said there was like, Oh, there's number ones that you really like. And then there's some that, they, that you really love. Like, how do you, with like all this music, how do you like, I guess, I mean, at least for me, one thing I noticed when I'm listening to a lot of stuff. Okay. I have That's a notepad I... of hundreds of things that I write down every day. Wow. And so if I see a band name that I don't recognize or an album art that I'm like, I don't know if I've listened to that, I'll just jot it down. And then when I have a downtime, I'll follow up and try to track down that record um, yeah. from wherever I heard it. And honestly, um, I was just having a conversation uh, with Lars, who works for NPR, that like when you have been listening to music for as long as we have and writing about it critically, um, you can often tell within literally 15 seconds sometimes 
whether or not a record is going to be within a ballpark of interest for you. Mm. And so it's sort of like um, a three-tier effect where uh, if I play it and it sounds remotely interesting, it goes on a bigger playlist. And then it sort of keeps getting fine-tuned and then I'll revisit that playlist. And then I might listen to it a second time a couple of days later and be like, God, why did I save that song? That was terrible. <laughs> it gets deleted from the playlist. And then there are other things that I'll be like, wow, why did I only save one song from this record? It, it's really, it's captured my imagination and, and I need to hear this whole record again. And, you know, ears are, are like a, I don't know, like, I think we all have bad workouts and good workouts with our muscles. And I feel like my ears are kind of that same way. I have good days and bad days. So I try to make sure if something remotely interests me that I give it multiple shots over a spread of days. And usually by third listen, I'll know if it's something that I genuinely want to share with other people. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so I have paper lists, like literally I go through a book like this every couple of months. And then um, my Spotify playlist is something like, I don't know, it's like eight days long each three months or something. I don't want to forget, but no mind can possibly capture all of that. So I'm trying to set myself up best I can not to fail by having all these backups. So while I might not be able to recall like every name off the top of my head that is a new record I'm interested in, at least I have a place that I can go to quickly and look at and say, oh yeah, this is some of the stuff I, I really love right now. Yeah, that's it's interesting because I just started doing that like during this pandemic. For So for years, I just kind of was like, you know, just listening to music. And it's like, I've noticed like making that concentrated effort is just so much more like rewarding because right. you do and you start to retain stuff a lot more and it's like, and you're just, noticing things more so it's almost like you know if like you don't put that effort in then it's like you're gonna miss stuff I mean it's like right. we're all gonna miss stuff anyway right. it's just impossible to like hear everything but but putting forth that effort it's like you, you're you're gaining a lot more that if you're just like oh I'll see whatever comes my way and you know yeah I think you you make connections through things hmm. where maybe you'll realize like oh weird this flamenco record has math metal kind of tendencies to it and there's a crossover that I wouldn't have expected before or if you listen to something really intensely for three days and then suddenly you start it's like when you learn a new word and you hear it like four more times in a conversation you're like did this word always come up this often yeah, yeah exactly learn this word that I'm hearing it and I think music kind of works the same way and you'll start connecting those dots and hearing just how intertwined music really is. So if you only think you like blues music, well, surprise, blues has influenced 8 billion other things. So that cause and effect is never ending. And the more time you spend learning those things, you'll just naturally start connecting those dots and realizing like, oh, like I don't just love country music. Like that is rooted in all these other things. And um, I'm glad that the pandemic has offered you an opportunity to make some of those discoveries. Cause I think it's kind of exciting when you realize that it's like, you know, discovering there's a, a secret room 
in in a, a room that you have known really well for a long time and then go like where did this other door appear i love that yeah yeah, yeah definitely have you thought um, about piecing it all together um i often have thought about this i'm i don't think i'm the right person but just hearing you speak about and reading the newsletter i'm talking about i don't know if anyone's I don't think they've done it or else I probably would have heard about it, but a, a large undertaking of contemporary underground music and how it connects globally, like a website that's out there that's sort of... Yeah, um, I, I founded a radio show called Cause and Effect, um, okay. maybe now like 12, 15, a long time ago at the radio station RAR, um, where I picked one artist and trace their musical roots for two hours Whoa. and I discovered pretty quickly just how like interconnected music was and genres overlapped in ways that I could have never ever in a million years have guessed and uh, I had a, an accident where I was hit by a car and that's where like the brain injury comes in but also getting up the flight of stairs where the radio station was was quite hard um, and I just found that being on air required thinking on your feet in a very quick way that at the time was very tough for me because I was living with like a semi-permanent concussion. So I gave up the radio show, but much to my surprise, uh, there were DJs who loved it enough and the idea to carry it. So the radio station continues to do cause and effect to this day. And what I love is it's a rotating cast of DJs. So instead of it's just me, me, even though I think I have diverse tastes, there are certain artists I would never think to do a show on. And I love that each DJ has taken their unique spin on it and decided to tell an artist story in a slightly different way. Um, not to toot my own horn, I think it's a really great idea. And I wish there was some sort of like properly fleshed out television show or podcast who really explored that a little bit more deeply because I think it's a really special idea to show just how the web of music works and that it is truly connected and once you fall in love with one style it can lead you down this rabbit hole to a bunch of other ways and surprising places I love that choose your own adventure where like you really don't know where you're gonna land but because it started with an artist you liked um, it potentially leads you in a place that you didn't think you'd like, but because it's an artist influence, it makes sense. And then you fall in love with it. Like, I love that idea. So uh, I welcome everyone if they want to steal that and make it a fancy real show, um, you know, just throw my name somewhere in it. But I would love to have that be a regular thing. And that way I can also continue to learn because every kind of like that teaches you some really valuable and exciting lesson yeah it could be a global network of people doing that <laughs> yeah and i wouldn't be surprised yeah. if there are other shows that are similar that i'm mm. not aware of but it's been going on in richmond for over a decade now woo woo <laughs> <laughs> um so with all of these like records and stuff like that, how big is your collection? Do you know how many records you own? Um, that is a great question. Um, 
I'm terrible at putting stuff on Discogs. Um, I think I'm at maybe the 3,000 mark, but I, I, I probably have somewhere between four and 6,000 wow. records. Um, I have like, hopefully I'm not barging in on my husband who is making art somewhere or going to bed or something, but let's see if I can show you our record room. So this room. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is uh, three oh, walls that yeah. are full. And then we outgrew this room. So we just built another wall of records in our den and um, another wall in the dining room. So there's now records in practically every room in the house. <laughs> but wow. I think the way we've spread it out right now is hopefully we have, I don't know, maybe five or so years more of wall space it, we've made for ourselves before we trying to make more room in our house. Because there's just a point where our walls that um, have our heating baseboard, we can't put records up against. So we're basically filling every space we can with the records and the walls that don't have heating on it. <laughs> but that's only gonna go for so long. Yeah, wow. I, I get excited every time I see those kind of like shel the shelves with the record, like I don't see anyone that has that. Cause I don't, I'm still like, somewhat new and building up my record collection so uh again you got to start yeah. somewhere it starts yeah. with one record and uh i've been collecting since grade school so yeah and i've also sold a lot along the way depending mm -hmm. on unemployment situations or when i had my accident and didn't have insurance um i sold a the first jack white single um, oh, wow. and i got like basically two months rent out of it so I don't love selling records but in an emergency when it's literally a matter of life or death like sometimes you got to do what you got to do yeah. yeah I'm also pretty fortunate that I have a partner who loves collecting and loves music as much as I do because that my level of of OCD um for keeping up with music is not for everybody and I've definitely had boyfriends in the past who either felt it was a competition or just felt left out of this thing that I'm like, I've dedicated my basically entire adult life to. So it's very helpful to have a partner who is as passionate about it as you are. And Kenny was also in positive no with me. Um, so um, it's, it's music is just a very, very large part of our life together. <laughs> yeah that's awesome um yeah so I, I think uh i think on that note uh we can let you go for for now and uh well we really do appreciate you coming on especially on like it's a uh, kind of like short notice um, honestly it's really nice i i'm glad that people like to talk about my like early bands but like Delia Seed was only in this part of my life for five or six years. And so it's weird because I've done so much more meaningful things in music than that. So I am very grateful to have an opportunity 
to talk about all the other stuff just necessarily about being in a band. I'm much more excited, as you can tell, to, to talk about me as a music fan than I am about my own stuff. So thanks for that opportunity. Oh, of yeah, course. Thank you for yeah, sharing everything. Yeah. yeah. Really appreciate your enthusiasm and insight and uh, just every, everything. Um, and we'll see you at, at Goner Fest. I'm so excited. <laughs> We're going to cheers. It's going to be fantastic to meet live and in person. I really look forward to that. I, I guess that's just a couple of months away. So that would be great. Be safe. All right. All right take care. Too. Thank you. Take care.